Test, test, test. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's how we usually do our sound checks, right? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Super Duper Stitches, the uh, paranormal podcast with a sciencey spin on the otherwise supernatural. Ooh, how about that one? I like that one. All right, That's there a you good go. One. Cool. Yeah, we take the creepiness, we take the kookiness, and we think about it in a sciencey way and see what we can come up with yeah. for possible explanations, yeah. if and when we can. Exactly. And all the while, enjoying what we have here is something that is mysterious and uh, sometimes fundamentally weird. <laughs> yep. I'm white, by I'm the Jake. way. <laughs> <laughs> the crushing silences are coming from uh, either Wyatt or myself, Jake. Yes, uh, we do We do what we can to uh, just ruin our ability to speak, basically. <laughs> yep. That's what we get for taking a week off. We thank you for coming back and joining us again. We indeed. hope that in the week that we have been absent, you've maybe taken the time to enjoy the new uh, section on our website. Yeah, and thanks to Jake, we now have fancy, fine, new uh, little clip videos that have text to screen and thanks to lauren for doing the lion's share of the work on revamping the website so that it has individual pages for every single episode thank you lauren so we had gotten some uh some kind of complaints from folks who were listening to the show through the website instead of through any of the different podcast apps that are out there saying hey they like the show but where are all the links you guys talk about so now every episode has its own page with all the links just spelled out for you so it's much easier to find. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess today, what are we talking about, Jake? We're talking about some more man, man-like monsters. Indeed. Monsters again? Man-sters, Monster man. Monsters once again, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, if, uh, hopefully as you uh, tune into the show, you are like Jake and myself, just, you know, intrigued by the cryptids and intrigued by the sort of monstrous out there. So this is a favorite topic of ours and, uh, you know, we will regularly revisit it, I think, as, as the months sure. unfold. Before we do that, however, I have an update on the abduction story I talked about a while back now. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, the, guy, the guy who was in the, like, falling asleep in the back of his big rig truck and... Right, his head to himself, the right knee. <gasps> yeah, suddenly something found himself on, like, a, strapped to a table someplace. Getting slapped and, in the dick. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I'll just jump right into that. This is, um, again, from uh, New Fork, the National UFO <laughs> Research Convention. I don't remember what it stands for. Um, <laughs> As opposed to Old Fork, the official legion dedicated to finding out random crap. Random crap. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, That's the name. So here we go. My first recorded occurrence was in Ashtabula, Ohio. I still don't know how to say that name, but whatever. Ashtabula. Uh, I, Ashtabula. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I have had experiences throughout my life that I either dismissed or pushed aside as a dream. Last night's experience was very insignificant compared to the last experience I had, but I wanted to report it anyways. Mm. I'm now in a new vehicle, a 3500 series ProMaster. You know, one of those. Yeah. Uh, so those aliens are going to keep their hands off me. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what. So instead of being a straight cab truck, I now have a bed set up almost like a camper behind the front seats. Mm. I was watching some TV and um, around 11 p.m. when almost immediately the TV kicked off without a warning. I could see no lights from outside, and once again, I could not move. I kept hearing a voice seeming to be in my head, telling me something along the lines of, Be still, everything is okay. Once again, I felt an overwhelming sense of love. I could feel Mm. being touched, but I could not pinpoint where it was from. I could see absolutely nothing. Complete darkness. Wow. I did not know when the occurrence stopped or how long it went on for. 
I woke up with a headache and dried blood around my nose and in my mustache at approximately 8.48 a.m. Central Standard Time. I cannot get the experience out of my head. I keep trying to piece things together. However, I literally cannot remember anything past that point. Wow. Part of me is completely terrified that this keeps occurring. I cannot help but want to know more. I need to know why this is happening, how this happens, why they chose me, etc. I apologize that there are no more details about the occurrence, but I wanted to make a report anyway, if for nothing else, then so I have a record of how often this is happening. Man, okay. So, so he's had another encounter of a similar sort to the one we talked about Seems previously. Seems like he, so he basically loses consciousness, regains consciousness, and is now a little bit roughed up, a little worse for the wear. Not terribly, but like blood. blood and, yeah, bleeding from his nose for whatever reason. Right. And yeah, memories of having heard this voice reassuring him that things are okay and stuff but otherwise he's not really sure what's going on very mysterious mm-hmm. so man i wonder uh i would wonder if he has some sort of delusion and or like seizure kind of it could be out. some yeah have something for, i mean recurring dreams aren't super uncommon so it could be something like that happening and then the physiological aspect could be something else like you said it could be some kind of some sort of medical thing happening to him right that, often may cause dreams to also happen or just could be coincident it could be any combination of different weird things mm-hmm. he could be getting abducted a bunch of times it's, yeah. <laughs> that's a possibility but <laughs> it's true he's a little less likely but uh, uh, yeah so I'll, I'll keep checking in i just checked a minute ago before we started recording to see if there are any new reports on that website um nothing since like the middle of may it looks like so oh wow okay if we see any more from this guy i'll definitely make sure to talk about it here very cool yeah it'd be uh i kind of wish he could keep some recording devices on his person at all times <laughs> just, just have, like, always a chest on camera yeah. on, yeah. <laughs> chest camera <laughs> strap a gopro onto himself and <laughs> from several different angles just covered in gopros <laughs> <laughs> mike's dangling off of all of his limbs <laughs> <Yeah>. shit <laughs> Dude, is this easy to use? No, it's fine. It's fine. How do you turn them all individually on? Like, well, yeah. I start with my left hand. I just work my way all the <laughs> way down until I get them all turned on. Pretty much by the time the last one's on, the first one's out of power. But, you know, <laughs> it works. Uh, So, yeah. Now we can get into our master stories, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Alrighty. Well, then today what I'm going to talk to you about is uh, a cool creature from Florida. Oh, well, I... You know, didn't really want to listen to anything about my grandpa, but <laughs> we can go there if you want. Now, I don't know if you remember the website Mysterious Universe. Yes, uh, yeah, I they do. never cease to turn up terrific stuff for us. I feel yeah. like and Rob Morphy, specifically one of the contributors to there, uh, even less often ceases to turn up good things. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. Way to not uh, <laughs> ever suck, Rob. <laughs> You never don't not. <laughs> <laughs> He's good anyway. Uh, we've, I think, maybe each covered at least one article of his by now, unless I, maybe I covered more than one of his, or I'm Perhaps, not sure, but I, know. I know the name has come up more than once. Uh, it's been a um, minute since I've been there to, to grab my sources. Yeah, so but without, it's good. without further ado, I'll get yeah. into another one of his great yeah, articles. Yeah. Well, actually, a little, little bit of ado. Uh, Mr. Morphy <laughs> is indeed a great writer, but sometimes a little prone to prose that could be best described as having something of a purplish hue a combination of blue and red i was about to ask yes. you if that would be how you describe it <laughs> so i've dialed some of that back all right so i present to you a light lilac <laughs> yes oh uh, yeah go on so i present to you the moss man cometh by rob morphy abridged <laughs> by jake withy all right i was hoping for a mo- moss man prophecy that'd be kind of funny <laughs> that, pretty, yeah, that seems like a missed opportunity actually it's all right. 
the bizarre foliage-smothered synthesis of mammal and plant was alleged to have cast an ominous shadow over a stretch of East Florida beach throughout a decade-long reign of terror that ended as abruptly as it began. <laughs> and our ancient legends would suggest that this creature's sphere of influence might have covered the bulk of the American South. Don't you mean this creature's amorphous <laughs> blob, of, <laughs> blob of influence? Yes. Wedged between the salt-churned waters of the Atlantic and the biologically diverse wonderland that is the Florida Everglades is the prosperous coastal city of Boca Raton. Mm-hmm. Or Mouse Mouth, if you will. Mouse <laughs> Mouth? Is that what that means? Yes. Damn. My goodness. <laughs> I knew there was something <laughs> tropical about those words. <laughs> the first reported sighting of Florida's infamous Moss Man hails from 1978. According to the account, a young couple was enjoying a romantic stroll on South Beach, not far from Red Reef Park, when they claimed to have spied something out of the ordinary huddled on a covered beach deck at the end of nearby Palmetto Road. Mm. The couple paid little mind to what they initially believed was just a thin, peculiarly positioned man in a tattered raincoat nestled Mm. among the sea grape and undergrowth above the dunes. Mm -hmm. That was until this man stood up. As the skinny, ragged figure rose up, he glared down at the couple with what the young man described as eerily bright, amber-colored eyes, Ooh. which he instantly realized did not belong to a human being. This sounds familiar. As if that weren't disturbing enough, the man also claimed that what he had mistaken for a frayed coat was actually a grassy, leaf-like substance that appeared to emerge directly from this bipedal, dark green entity's epidermis. Interesting. The terrified couple ran into a group of vacationers and wasted no time in relaying the tale of their potentially harrowing run-in with a skeletal green beast. <laughs> oh my god. The number of synonyms I removed from this story <laughs> is uh, mm-hmm. astounding. I like that it was potentially harrowing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> They're like, we're not sure if we're scared or not, but yes, we are. Others gathered to hear their frankly frightening story, and within minutes, a makeshift search party had formed to go back to see if the monster still occupied its perch. They searched around, but eventually the undergrowth became impenetrable and the posse was forced to retreat, but not before they stumbled on copious amounts of damp Spanish moss littering the area where the creature had been seen. I think they formed a mossy to find this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I got a million more. Just wait. (laughs) Within days, word of this mysterious moss man had spread throughout the region and almost instantly a local legend was born. Mm -hmm. In 1980, the bog beast began appearing with alarming frequency in the Red Reef region. Eleven disparate sightings were reported in Red Reef Park as well as other beaches, including West Palm Beach and Hillsborough Beach. Most of the Mm. eyewitnesses depicted a man-like being, but others described a more ephemeral entity akin to a wraith or, in one case, water spirit. Okay. After the 1980 flap, things seemed to settle down for a while. This hiatus was broken by a short-lived wave of sightings in 1982, but it wouldn't be until the summer of 1988 when this vine-wrapped villain would have its final and closest encounter ever reported. Mm-hmm. The Gumbo Limbo Encounter. Oh. The event occurred in a division of Red Reef Park known as Gumbo Limbo Park. The 67 acres of coastal land serves as a marine preserve and environmental education center and includes a 20-acre nature center. Look at the picture of this place. It looks fucking awesome. I want to go there so badly. Hell yeah, man. That'd be sweet. I do have a picture of just an example of one of the kind of paths. There are a lot of like um, boardwalks because there's so much water, but there's some Ooh, of the... It's uh, on- a nice path, too. Yeah, like a nice like, little paved path through the woods. Yeah, very dense very woods jungly. on the other side. Yeah. Other areas where it's a lot more marshy um, is mm-hmm. actual boardwalks above the ground because it's all water. I love that kind of stuff, though. Yeah, it's just so cool. Um, so that's the kind of place that you can picture 
these people being in right. when this encounter occurs. Right. It would be in this fairly isolated preserve that an elderly couple would have a run-in with the unknown that would shake the very core of their perception of reality. Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> At dusk, one evening, an older couple was walking one of the park's paths when they noticed a sudden movement in the shrubbery next to them. The woman, at this point more curious than concerned, leaned forward in order to get a better look at the murky green form huddled in the obscuring bushes, expecting <laughs> a bird or something. Mm-hmm. Um, without warning, a shadowy, leaf-shrouded figure turned, and the woman found herself face-to-face with a creature that was unlike any she had ever seen. Do her faces tell. were uncomfortably close, as the mossy monster locked onto her wide eyes with its own eerily luminescent amber orbs. <laughs> the terrified couple looked up, Terrified couple... They began making out. (laughs) Uh, The terrified couple booked it to the park ranger's uh, station near the exit. (laughs) Breathless, the... (laughs) Just imagine. (laughs) Walk faster. (laughs) The original... uh, I was trying to exclude all the original, but he said something like, move as fast as their uh, aged legs could carry them or something. (laughs) Several different... Uh, words to reiterate their oldness in the same sentence. Aged, geriatric, (laughs) well-used... Yes. Brittle uh, bones. Said something about this being the um, something like they'd never seen in their long lives. I, I, I oh know. my god! Um, <laughs> so the rangers did their best to calm the panicked couple, and uh, then went out to investigate. Sadly, by the time they arrived at the scene, there was no sign of the creature. After this encounter, rumors swirled throughout the 1990s regarding other eyewitness encounters, but none of them were officially recorded, so it was difficult to tell right. which are genuine and which are not. Naturally. The Curse of the Moss Man. Ooh. While on summer break, a military school cadet named Greg Jenkins decided to investigate the mystery and discovered some pretty cool stuff, including a legend from a local Red Reef Park ranger. Okay. Jenkins described this bizarre episode, uh, the the biscotti. The biscotti. The biscotti. The biscotti episode. (laughs) (laughs) Jenkins described this bizarre episode thusly, quote, when my friend and I asked some of the locals about the moss-covered monster, we were entertained to a plethora of stories that only fueled our interest. One of the most interesting stories came from a park ranger who had a keen interest in such things and who had worked at Red Reef Park for several years, knew of the tale, and told us that this particular legend was much older than people thought. Ooh, in boy. fact, a creature which resembles a man but is covered in seaweed or other ocean-like grasses was born from a Native American curse which originated during the 1500s. Huh, huh. The ranger went on to explain that after Spanish conquistadors invaded the region, one of the men took it upon himself to not only kidnap a Native American princess, but rape and then decapitate her. Following this brutal atrocity, the soldier, for reasons known only to him, decided to tie the head of the princess to a tree. Like you do. Okay. Legend has it that the hair of the butchered princess took root in the tree and that eventually Mm. her spirit infected all the plant life in the area. Hmm. The plants, under the spiritual influence of the deceased girl, managed to drive the Spanish from her ancestral land. A different variation hmm. held that a medicine man carried out the princess's vegetative vengeance by creating the moss man in order to wreak havoc upon the kind descendants of, of the Spanish soldiers. Vege- vegetable golem, if yes. you will. Mm-hmm. As exciting as such an explanation is, it could also just be something locals cooked up to provide a potential backstory to justify the sightings. You don't have to cook it up. That's just raw, son. <laughs> Vegetables. Yes, vegetables. So if we're not dealing with a real creature, and not just a pile of cursed moss, then the dilemma that remains is... Chapter 4. <laughs> what is the moss man? He's just vegetables. It's, it's, a, it's a farmer's market. <laughs> it's just an ambulatory it's a farmer's, farmer's market. market. Just call him farmer's market, man. 
Uh, now, there are no animals that are straight up made of plants. This is something that I think those all are two of us biologists can agree on. Yes. But there are some kind of fun intersections between those two kingdoms of life. Planimals. Planimals. <laughs> uh, Chia pets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, we all know about carnivorous plants like the Venus flytrap or mm-hmm. cobra lily. So you have some plants that are kind of like, you know, have animal qualities to them in that sort mm-hmm. in that loose sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also single-celled animals like Mycidinium chameleon and Mycidinium rubrum, which have characteristics of both plants and animals. Mm-hmm. It's true of a mm-hmm. lot of different proteins and stuff where they're kind of in between. True. There's even the vastly more advanced chlorophyll-producing Elstia chlorotica mm-hmm. or green sea slug, an actual animal with plant-like properties. There's nothing that has these traits that comes even close to the complexity of a human being. Right. Nothing that we know of anyway. Right. Nevertheless, in the long history of the development of the flora and fauna of Earth, these evolutionary oddities have proven to be the exception and not the rule, mm-hmm. which leaves us, the intrepid investigators, with one heck of a quandary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is again all just from the same article. I was <laughs> going to say, yes. like, Jake, is this your purple prose now? Is no. his purple prose? <laughs> it's still his purple prose. All right, go on. Of course, the easy answer is that this whole thing is just a bunch of bullshit. Hey. Chapter 5. Just a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> bullshit, man. <laughs> There's the very real possibility that the entire 20th century Moss Man phenomena is just a series of pranks based loosely on Native American legends and modern horror cinema. After the mostly dormant Moss Man suddenly began appearing with alarming frequency in the Red Reef area in 1980, uh, Jenkins, the student who was on break and wrote all about this um, mm-hmm. back in the day, claimed that some of the more skeptical citizens in the neighborhood felt that this spate of sightings was likely inspired by John Carpenter's The Fog, which mm. was released on a February 8th of the same year and featured a similar looking monster to what the Moss Man is supposed to have oh, looked how about like. That? So while Jenkins conceded that this sharp rise in moss monster sightings may have been indirectly related to the glowing-eyed, seaweed-slathered spirit of retribution depicted <laughs> in the motion picture, it's worth mentioning that the first contemporary sightings of this beast or beasts occurred for a full two years prior to the release of The Fog. That is interesting. So it might not be, you know, a full-on chupacabra situation where someone saw a movie, misidentified something they saw, and then looked everyone for the took genitals, off and then Looked for the genitals. Always got to look for the genitals. And then got scared. So far, no one looking at the Moss Man has tried to look for Moss genitals. So that's it's true. That's moss encouraging. Genitals. Very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Another contender for prankster inspiration was a monstrous character created by Bernie Wrightston and Len Wein for DC Comics almost a decade before. The creature was the result of a biological experiment gone dreadfully awry, transforming a once handsome scientist into a hideous amalgamation of into body a- vegetation. <laughs> What's that? I was going to say into a handsome, whatever you were going to say. Yes, <laughs> a handsome scientist into a handsome amalgamation. plant monster <laughs> yeah. um, known as... Moss Man, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Swamp Thing. <laughs> Swamp Thing, obviously. <laughs> uh, this repulsive, though ultimately heroic, monstrosity made its first appearance in a 1971 issue of House of Secrets. Mm. So that character had existed for a while. So the image described could have been in the mindset of right. people in general. Everything I've ever seen about Moss Man has been basically the Swamp Thing picture. Yes, yeah, like, almost always. Like, any illustrations are just I mean, a Moss bunch Man. of different pictures of the Swamp yeah. Thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it's easy to see the physical similarities between the Swamp Thing and the Moss Man. The fact that the legend traced back for centuries would seem to exclude this fict- uh, fictional marsh monster as the inspiration for the Moss Man, though it right. may have colored the imaginations of those who thought they encountered the beast. Right. There are some, myself included, Rob self included, 
who have wondered <laughs> whether these outlandish monsters might ha- not have inspired some hoaxers to create a kind of ghillie suit in order to mimic myths surrounding the ex- uh, appearance mm. of this curious creature. Because when you describe like a moss man, it sounds like someone wearing a ghillie suit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are others who believe just as fervently that the opposite may be true. Which I guess is that the legend... Wait, Wait. ghillie suit? What is the opposite of people hoaxing by wearing a ghillie suit? A ghillie the suit hoaxing by wearing people? <laughs> or the legend being... Moss man wears a ghillie suit? He- Moss man wears people to trick ghillie suits into believing, into believing that, that, that people exist. That he never Wait. existed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which could be the case. It might be. Moss man among us. <laughs> Chapter whatever. Real folklore. As unprecedented as a plant-human hybrid may be in the annals of academia, <laughs> there are an astounding amount of myths and folklore concerning just such entities. And arguably, the most famous example is the Louisiana Bayou Lurker known as the Père Malfay. Hmm. Described as a looming, vine-covered, mud-slathered monstrosity that stands seven to eight feet tall, this creature has been said to look like a tangle of willow branches and is known to be able to mimic a tree in order to conceal itself. Man. All of these descriptions, I just have to come out and say it. It is very squatchy for me. It's very squatchy. It's funny you say that. That that will come up in a bit here. All right, go uh, on. This one must admit would be a perfect camouflage for any native a beast native to the miles of swamp that cover so much of both Louisiana and Mississippi, as well as a good portion of the Florida Everglades, which incidentally lies mere miles from Boca Raton. When the French-speaking Acadians migrated into Louisiana at the tail end of the 1700s, they, unlike almost every European immigrant that would follow, adapted to the customs and language of the indigenous native tribe known as the Bayogola, which translates as the Bayou people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the history of the Acadians is fascinating and tragic and insane and very mm. worth checking out. Long mm. story short, they were super nice Europeans who <laughs> they first landed you know, up in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, they respected the land and the people on it. So as a result, they ultimately got kicked around like crazy by all the other Europeans. Oh, sure. Uh, and having like just being pulled out of there, jostled all around, sent all over like basically the world for a while, and eventually Holy shit. Uh, those of them who were left ended up finally getting to settle in Louisiana. How about that? And continued to be just super pleasant, nice people there too. And That's yeah, cool. again, um, were much more willing to just coexist with the people who already lived there when they got there, rather than saying, "Oh, no, this is our land now," right. like any other European would do. Right. Uh, so these Acadians, or Cajuns as they would eventually come to be known, received a crash course in bayou fauna as well as its more ethereal inhabitants from their hosts. And one of the most intriguing was an entity who the Bayougula had dubbed the Father of the Leaves. Mm. When they adapted this legend into their own culture, the Acadians converted the fiend's name into the French Le Père de Mille Father of a Thousand Leaves? Yes. Mille Foy? okay. Mille yeah. Thank you. Basically, um, the father of a thousand leaves, his whole shtick was to defend the swamp from anyone who would try to fuck with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the older Bayou inhabitants today still believe that this mythical monster haunts the swamp. One can't help but to wonder if the legends that sprang up among the Bayagula and Acadian people might be based not on a being of supernatural origin, but on an extremely rare but very real species. Hmm. This bizarre beast might be an unknown mammal or amphibian covered in swamp plants for concealment, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even more preposterously, a mass of vegetable matter that somehow evolved to assume humanoid form. <laughs> that is that is less likely. Fucking preposterous, <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. He's uh, like, I'm just putting it out there. Uh, <laughs> I do believe. I mean, I don't believe in it, but I. Uh, 
Uh, from here, he gets into a bunch of other more well-known cryptids. Skunk ape, uh, Dover demon type stuff as far as oh, water, yeah. water adjacent things. That could be responsible for Mossman sightings. So you yeah, said that it all sounded kind of squatchy. Factor, so. The squatch factor is strong with yeah. this story for me. Now, I'm not super into using one unsubstantiated phenomenon to explain another. But no, also, of course. It's, of course. You know, the thing, too, could be just, you know paring down the number of mysterious things out there into a, f- a smaller yeah. number of mysterious things that we still don't have an explanation for. <laughs> is it an ancient curse or is it a <laughs> this or is it a that? The guy could just be this one thing we think might exist but don't know for sure as opposed to a dozen of it different kinds of crazy things. It is dissatisfying in that way. Or it could be a kind of extreme, what would you say, maybe pareidolia type thing of seeing a human form, not necessarily yeah. a face, but the whole form yeah. out there. Our brains want to make recognizable shapes out of things. Absolutely. So. And oftentimes that shape will either be a face or a yeah, whole body shape. Humanoid shape, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that it is just people seeing stuff and thinking they see a person-shaped thing. Um, and then again, yeah, like we said, the idea of it being something skunk ape-like. You know, right. if we... That's the thing. Once you believe one thing to be true, you can start believing a bunch of other stuff to it's be true. It's a so if you slippery say, slope for so sure. So if you say, oh, the skunk ape is real, well, maybe this is just a skunk ape misidentified. It's like, well, right. well we don't know if the skunk ape is real. True. So, I will say, though, that animals that live in very wet environments, uh, well, more typically of animals that move very slowly. I'm thinking of sloths, I guess, right now. Yeah, so that's an example of a mammal that has plants all over. It just has exactly. moss growing in its fur. Right. So it's a, a little moss man of its, its own little, Yeah, <laughs> a moss miniature man. Yes, um, but they also live further south than Florida, and they would never be walking around bipedally or, you know, having stare-offs with yeah. old people. Or well, they might actually, and they wouldn't even be on the ground that often. And they, if they would be, they'd be, um, yeah, on all fours and uh, awkwardly, very awkwardly, just kind of shuffling along, trying to get mm-hmm. back to a tree. Right, and uh, yeah, they wouldn't scare anybody because they're just too dang cute. Too darn cute, exactly. So there's never been any physical evidence in support of this creature's existence, save a pile of Spanish moss, which was indeed left behind back in 1978. Hmm. Initial sighting. Aside from that, it's all of just eyewitness accounts, many of them anonymous. Mm-hmm. There's also the fact that there hasn't been a confirmed sighting of the creature since the 1980s. Uh, it was really just happened then and just kind of petered off, and that's been it since then. So what really is going on there? Is it just something people made up? Is it... People misidentifying things, and then I, I feel like it could be a combination of di- different stuff. Like if you have, we always bring up at some point in these different stories the idea of priming in some sense. Absolutely, yeah. And it sounds like here there's a couple of different possible sources of that priming. Right. Whether it be one or two different local legends that have existed for thousands of years, that could be there. Whether it be uh, a more recent legend that may or may not be true, you know, from the 1500s, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be you know, modern pop culture stuff. Um, any of that could color your experience and make you think you so saw something true. that seems familiar because you've seen it somewhere else. Right. Whether or not you realize where it was you saw it and that it was a comic book or a movie. Exactly. It's so true. And it's it's the the tricky situation of everyone having their own experience, having their own kind of uh, slant on separate phenomena, but they have only a limited way of explaining or contextualizing something they don't fully understand and so they wind up using the same terminology to describe extremely disparate events yeah it's easier to wrap your mind around something if someone else can relate if they think oh right. yeah, i think that happened to me too i think that it sounds was similar. like the moss man or something yeah. and then before you know it there's all these different accounts of a single entity which is actually maybe so many different things that if they just had more linguistic tools they could better you know pad out what they were really experiencing but 
you know, that's something like for me with like UFOs in general. Like maybe someone saw a satellite, maybe someone saw this, someone saw that, but I saw a light in the sky. Oh, well, maybe one guy's light in the sky is like actually really incredibly weird. Yeah. But they use the same exact terms and what are you going to do? Yep. But yeah, that's so pretty cool. That is the Moss Man of, of Mouse Mouth. Of the Moss Man of Mouse Mouth. I like that very much. <laughs> um, awesome, man. I can dig it. Okay, well, um, as we are doing some monsters today, I uh, went ahead and dug up another one of my favorite Squatch Tales. That doesn't sound like you. I know. It's really atypical for me, isn't it? But humor me, please. Please. Humor me, Timbers. Humor me, Timbers. Humor me, Timbers. <laughs> God, I just wish I knew someone whose last name was Timbers now. <laughs> Although I don't know how many times I could ask someone named Timbers to shiver me. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I will now tell you the Albert Ostman account. The so, Albert Ostman account? Yes, this is... Uh, the Albert Ostman The Albert, <laughs> Albert, no middle name given, Ostman account. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so it's 1957 when Albert comes forward to tell his story to the local paper. And he had kept it secret for over 20 years because he was afraid, as many are when they have these kinds of things, of being thought crazy. Mm -hmm. But when accounts started to kind of gurgle up more frequently in the mid-20th century... Gross. Yeah. <laughs> he went to the paper and, yeah, told, told his story. So when word got out, he was questioned by authorities because they were like, are you fucking full of it, dude? Like, what's your deal? Yeah. And police magistrate A.M. Naismith wrote in an affidavit, I found Mr. Osman to be a man of 64 years of age, in full possession of his mental faculties, of pleasant manner, and with a good sense of humor. I questioned Mr. Osman thoroughly in reference to the story given by Mr. Green, who was the guy who took his interview. Mm -hmm. I cross-examined him and used every means to endeavor to find a flaw in either his personality or his story, but could find neither. Hmm. So, as with many of my favorite Sasquatch accounts, um, I appreciate how matter-of-fact Osman is in all his details. Yeah. This is a guy who was in the prime of his life just after the turn of the century, like in the early 1900s, and he never sensationalizes, which you will no doubt appreciate during this- I hate sensation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His story is boring I like as feel fuck. Things. Yeah. <laughs> um, his his uh, tale is ostensibly incredible, and yet it winds up convincing me in some sense that he really did experience something strange because he's so just matter-of-fact. His tone doesn't change over the course of the story. He doesn't like get to the juicy part and go like, and then it was a monster that fucking uh, came out of nowhere and punched <laughs> me in the face. <laughs> it was just like, oh, then I was, as you'll see, Punched in the face by Punch, a monster. Simply was... punched in the face. It was a fist that entered into my facial region. Uh, so anyway, here we go. I will not use that voice the whole time. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the one like this. Where okay. I was thinking about the one like this. Cause that... <laughs> Dude, I have a story to tell you. <laughs> Maybe track that one out for a special edition. <laughs> um, all right. So without further ado, I have always followed logging and construction work. On this particular occasion, I had worked over a year on a construction job and thought a good vacation was in order. British Columbia is famous for lost gold mines, one of which is supposed to be at the head of Toba Inlet. 
why not look for this mine and have a vacation at the same time? Which for this guy, as you'll soon see, vacation means carrying around 80 pounds worth of camping (laughs) gear and just straight fucking soloing the mountains (laughs) on your own. (laughs) Hardcore. All right. Oh, so relaxing to (laughs) fight against death. Uh, So I took the Union Steamship Boat to Lund, B.C. B.C.E. B.C., yeah. (laughs) Traveled through time. (laughs) Um, From there, I hired an old Indian to take me to the head of Toba Inlet, forgive his language. This old Indian was a very talkative old gentleman. He told me stories about gold brought out by a white man from this lost mine. This man was a very heavy drinker, spent his money freely in saloons, but he had no trouble in getting more. He would be away for a few days, then come back with a bag of gold. But one time he went to his mine and never came back. Some people said it was a Sasquatch had killed him. Hmm. At that time, I had never heard of Sasquatch. He said, quote, They have hair all over their bodies, but they are not animals. They are people. Big people living in the mountains. My uncle saw the tracks of one that were two feet long. Uh, another saw one over eight feet tall. The track? Uh, oh, yeah, the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's a tall track. <laughs> <laughs> I told the Indian I didn't believe in their old fables about mountain giants. The Indian said, quote, You can get fucked then, man. <laughs> yeah, get fucked. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> The Indian said, quote, there may not be many, but they still exist. We arrived at the head of an inlet uh, of the inlet about 4 p.m. I made camp at the mouth of the creek. The Indian had supper with me, and I told him to look out for me in about three weeks. I would be camping at the same spot when I came back. You know, this is, again, this is this time (laughs) of life where you're just like, hey, man, uh, come look for me in a little while. (laughs) I'm just going to go do shit in the woods for like almost a month on my own. Um, if I'm not here, I don't know, maybe just tell people I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Next morning, I took my rifle with me, but left my equipment at the camp. I decided to look around for some deer trail to lead me up into the mountains. On the way up the inlet, I had seen a pass in the mountain that I wanted to go through to see what was on the other side. You know, like you do as a tough-ass early 1900s gold prospector. Yep. He's like, I was looking up on top of a fucking mountain. (laughs) Let's go see what's over there. This is all his vacation. Yeah, this is his vacation, exactly. Oh, so relaxing. He's a gold miner for a vacation hobby. (laughs) His main profession is being, what, he's a lumberjack? And like, uh, what is he? Logging and construction, yeah. Okay, yes, so just general manual labor stuff, so. He puts the man in manual labor. (laughs) His whole body's just a big callus. (laughs) (laughs) I spent most of the forenoon looking for a trail, but found none except for a hogback, which I now understand is a long hill or mountain ridge with steep sides. Okay. uh, Running down to the beach. So I swamped out a trail from there, got back to my camp about 3 p.m. that afternoon, and made up my pack to be ready in the morning. My equipment consisted of one 30-30 Winchester rifle. I had a special homemade prospecting pick, axe on one end, pick on the other, you know, so no matter how you use it, you hurt yourself. (laughs) Just swinging one end and just, <laughs> oh, why did I put the blade there? Is it either end or either side? It's not clear to me. Okay. I think it's either end. Okay, that sounds extremely dangerous. He's like, you just gotta be tough enough to use it. You just spin it around. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> just destroys whatever's in front of you. Yeah, exactly. Comically just <laughs> obliterating it um, or turning it to gold. I had a leather case for this pick, which fastened to my belt. 
also my sheath knife. So yeah, real tough guy, real strong boy. The storekeeper at Lund was cooperative. He gave me some cans for my sugar, salt, and matches to keep them dry. My grub consisted mostly of canned stuff, except for a side of bacon, a bag of beans, four pounds of prunes, and six packets of macaroni. Four Sh- pounds of prunes? The man is not fucking around. <laughs> I tell you, exactly. He's all, like, the, all the cans have was SpaghettiOs, shaped like <laughs> Spider-Man, so. There is a certain chef, uh, Boyardi, I believe his name is, um... <laughs> Six packets of macaroni, cheese, three pounds of pancake flour, and six packets of Rye King hardtack. Three rolls of snuff, one quart sealer of butter, and two one-pound cans of milk. I had two boxes of shells for my rifle. Um, he's car- I'm sorry. I'm going to keep getting hung up on the fact that he's just by himself carrying all of that It is shit. incredible. I, in I fact, can, see, wrote- I can pack- picture filling up my entire like car with that the back of your car exactly dude and i'm just gonna say this is incidentally what i would pack for a family of like eight when playing oregon trail um they would eat well though because about three miles into the adventure i would inevitably pad out this stock with about four thousand pounds of game (laughs) (laughs) why did you kill literally every animal here i couldn't stop myself (laughs) yeah when suddenly a bunch of buffalo walk on screen you have to shoot every (laughs) one of them it's hard to... Jake, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I so. do like the subtle uh, like notification thing that comes up saying, if you continue to hunt in this area, game will become scarce, which oh, is their shit. way of saying, uh, you are solely responsible for the local extinction of every species <laughs> you just shot. You're extirpating. <laughs> All right, so the storekeeper gave me a biscuit tin. I put a few things in that and cached it under a windfall so I would have it when I came back to wait for a boat to bring me out. My sleeping bag I rolled up and tied on top of my pack sack, together with my ground sheet, small frying pan, and one aluminum pot that held about a gallon. And again, all jokes aside, I do appreciate in this moment how he's very dry and almost scientific in his cataloging of everything he brought with him. He's just like, boom, yeah. this, that, nothing else. I'm also picturing a pack like, you know in Fallout New Vegas, <laughs> yeah. uh, Caesar's slaves who have to carry those giant <laughs> those packs? Those insane packs. <laughs> that, exactly. he's carrying that. <laughs> I also had a Brahmin that I, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, nerd references? So anyway. I, uh, as my canned food was used, I would get plenty of empty cans to cook with. Uh, the following morning, I had an early breakfast, made up my pack, and started out up this hog back. My pack must have been at least 80 pounds besides my rifle. After one hour, I had to rest. I kept resting and climbing all that morning. About 2 p.m., I came to a flat place below a, a rock bluff. There was a bunch of willow in one place. I made a wooden spade and started digging for water. About a foot down, I got seepings of water, so I decided to camp here for the night and scout around for the best way to get out from here. I must have been up to near a thousand feet. There was a most beautiful view over the islands and the strait, tugboats with log booms and fishing boats going in all directions. A lovely spot. I spent the following day prospecting around, but no sign of minerals. I found a deer trail leading towards this pass that I had seen on my way up the inlet. The following morning, I started out early, while it was cool. It was steep climbing with my heavy pack. After three hours' climb, I was tired and stopped to rest. On the other side of- that long before he was tired. Yeah. (laughs) I remembered I was human, and, uh- (laughs) Wait a second, I can't do this forever. Okay, I guess I'll stop. (laughs) Fine. 
On the other side of a ravine from where I was resting was a yellow spot below some t uh, small trees. I moved over there and started digging for water. I found a small spring and made a small trough from cedar bark and got a small amount of water. Everything was very small these days. <laughs> had my lunch and rested here till evening. I made it over the pass late that night. Now I had downhill and good going, but I was hungry and tired, so I camped at the first bunch of trees I came to. I was trying to size up the terrain, what direction I would take from here. Towards west would lead to low land and some other inlet, so I decided to go in a northeast direction. Had good going and slight downhill all day. I must have made ten miles when I came to a small spring and a big black hemlock tree. This was a lovely campsite. I spent two days here just resting and prospecting. The first night here, I shot a small deer. He tries his hand at poetry a couple times. So. <laughs> two days later, I found an exceptionally good campsite. It was two good-sized cypress trees growing close together and near a rock wall with a nice spring just below these trees. I intended to make this my permanent camp. I cut lots of brush from my bed between these trees. I rigged up a pole from this rock wall to hang my pack sack on, and I arranged some flat rocks for my fireplace for cooking. I had a really classy setup. And that is when things began to happen. Mm -hmm. I was just about to quip that I was just kidding, and this whole thing was going to be him describing his campsites. <laughs> <laughs> I am a heavy sleeper. Not much disturbs me after I fall asleep, especially on a good bed like I had now. Mind you, this bed is just literally branches and shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Next morning, I noticed things had been disturbed during the night, but nothing missing I could see. I roasted my grouse on a stick for breakfast. That night, I filled up the magazine of my rifle. I still had one full box of 20 shells and six shells in my coat pocket. That night, I laid my rifle under the edge of my sleeping bag. I thought a porcupine had visited me the night before, and porkies like leather. It's like they always say. Yeah. Porky's light leather. They're naughty. <laughs> so I put my shoes in the bottom of my sleeping bag. So you can imagine he stuffs his shoes inside of the bag way down near where your mm. feet would be. Uh, next morning, my pack sack had been emptied out. Someone had turned the sack upside down. It was still hanging on the pole from the shoulder straps as I had hung it up. Then I noticed one half-pound package of prunes was missing. Also, my pancake flour was missing, but my salt bag was not touched. Porkies always look for salt, so I decided it must be something else than porkies. I looked for tracks, but found none. I did not think it was a bear. They always tear up and make a mess of things. I kept close to camp these days in case this visitor would come back. I climbed up on a big rock where I had a good view of the camp, but nothing showed up. I was hoping it would be a porky, so I would get to make a good porky stew. These visits had now been going on for three nights. This night it was cloudy and looked like it might rain. I took special notice of how everything was arranged. I closed my pack sack. I did not undress. I only took off my shoes, put them in the bottom of my sleeping bag. I drove my prospecting pick into one of the cypress trees so I could reach it from my bed. I also put the rifle alongside me inside my sleeping bag. I fully intended to stay awake all night to find out who my visitor was, but I must have fallen asleep. I was awakened by something picking me up. Whoa. I was half asleep, and at first I did not remember where I was. As I began to get my wits together, I remembered I was on this prospecting trip and in my sleeping bag. My first thought was, it must be a snowslide, but there was no snow around my camp. Then it felt like I was tossed on horseback, but I could feel whoever it was was walking. 
I tried to reason out what kind of animal this could be. I tried to get at my sheath knife and cut my way out, but I was in an almost sitting position and the knife was under me. I could not get hold of it, but the rifle was in front of me. I had a good hold of that and had no intention to let go of it. At times I could feel my pack sack touching me and could feel the cans in the sack touching my back. After what seemed like an hour, I could feel we were going up a steep, uh, steep hill. I could feel myself rise for every step. What was carrying me was breathing hard and sometimes gave a slight cough. I was in a very uncomfortable position, unable to move. I was sitting on my feet, and one of the boots in the bottom of the bag was crossways with a, a hobnail sole up against my foot. So hobnails are like those, sort of like cleats, but they're sort of blunt-ended. Mm, okay. R- really good for like trail walking on un- really uneven terrain and uh, loose soils and shit. But yeah, not a good thing to have just mushed against your foot really hard. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, it hurt me terribly, but I could not move. It was very hot inside. It was lucky for me this fellow's hand was not big enough to close up the whole bag when he picked me up. There was a small opening at the top, otherwise I would have choked to death. Now he was going downhill. I could feel myself touching the ground at times, and at one time he dragged me behind him, and I could feel he was below me. Then he seemed to get on level ground and was going at a trot for a long time. By this time, I had cramps in my legs. The pain was terrible. I was wishing he could get to his destination soon. I could not stand this type of transportation much longer. Now he was going uphill again. It did not hurt me so bad. I tried to estimate the distance and directions. As near as I could guess, we were about three hours traveling. I had no idea when he started as I was asleep when he picked me up. Finally, he stopped and let me down. Then he dropped my pack sack. I could hear the cans rattle. Then I heard chatter, some kind of talk I did not understand. The ground was sloping, so when he let uh, go of my sleeping bag, I rolled downhill. I got my head out and got some air. I tried to uh, straighten my legs and crawl out, but my legs were numb. It was still dark. I could not see what my captors looked like. I tried to massage my legs to get some life in them and get my shoes on. I could hear now it was at least four of them. They were standing around me and continuously chattering. I had never heard of Sasquatch before the Indian told me about them, but I knew I was right among them. Hmm. But how to get away from them? <laughs> that was another question. I got All right, to, now I know they're real. I don't want to be yeah, around them. Uh, fuck this. <laughs> I got to see the outline of them now as it began to get lighter. Though the sky was cloudy and it looked like rain, in fact there was a slight sprinkle. I now had circulation in my legs, but my left foot was very sore on top where it had been resting on my hobnail boots. I got my boots out from the sleeping bag and tried to stand up. I found that I was wobbly on my feet, but I had a good hold of my rifle. I asked, What do you fellows want with me? Only more chatter. He's so polite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey there. Oh, excuse hey me. Hey there, gents. Uh, yeah. what, uh, what's going, what's on? going on here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was getting lighter now, and I could see them quite clearly. I could make out forms of four people, two big and two little ones. They were all covered with hair and no clothes on at all. I could now make out mountains all around me. I looked at my watch. It was 4.25 a.m. It was getting lighter now, and I could see the people clearly. They looked like a family, an old man, an old lady, and two young ones, a boy and a girl. The boy and girl seemed to be scared of me. The old lady did not seem too pleased about what the old man dragged home, but the old man was waving his arms and seemed to be telling them what he had in mind. They all left me then. I had my compass and my prospecting glass on strings around my neck, the compass in my left hand shirt pocket and my uh, glass in my right hand pocket. 
I tried to reason our location and where I was. I could see now that I was in a small valley or basin about eight or ten acres, surrounded by high mountains. On the southeast side, there was a V-shaped opening, about eight feet wide at the bottom and about twenty feet high at the highest point. That must be the way I came in. But how will I get out? The old man was now sitting near this opening. I moved my belongings up close uh, to the west wall. There were two small cypress trees here, and this would do for shelter for the time being, until I find out what these people want with me and how to get away from here. I emptied out my pack sack to see what I had left in the line of food. All my canned meat and vegetables were intact, and I had one can of coffee. Also, three small cans of milk, two packages of rye king hardtack, and my butter sealer, half full of butter. But my prunes and my macaroni were missing. No, not the prunes. <laughs> Also, my full box of shells for my rifle. I had my sheath knife, but my prospecting pick was missing in my can of matches. The Sasquatch has won his gold. That's right. <laughs> Give us your gold. That's the only English I knew. I only had my safety box full, and that held only about a dozen matches. That did not worry me. I can only start a fire with my prospecting glass when the sun is shining, if I got dry wood. I wanted hot coffee, but I had no wood. Also, nothing around here that looked like wood presumably dry wood um i had a good look over the valley from where i was but the boy and girl were always watching me from behind some juniper bush i decided there must be some water around here the ground was leaning towards the opening in the wall uh there must be water at the upper end of this valley there is green grass and moss along the bottom all my utensils were left behind i opened my coffee tin and emptied the coffee in a dish towel and tied it with a metal strip from the can i took my rifle in the can and went looking for water Right at the head, under the under a cliff, there was a lovely spring that disappeared underground. I got a drink and a full can of water. When I got back, the young boy was looking over my belongings, but did not touch anything. On my way back, I noticed where these people were sleeping. On the east side wall of this valley was a shelf in the mountainside, with overhanging rock, looking something like a big undercut in a big tree, about ten feet deep and thirty feet wide. The floor was covered with lots of dry moss, and they had some kind of blankets woven of narrow strips of cedar bark packed with dry moss. Hmm. They looked very practical and warm with no need of washing. The first day, not much happened. I had to eat my food cold. The young fellow was coming nearer me and seemed curious about me. My one snuff box was empty, so I passed it toward him. When he saw it coming, he sprang up quick as a cat and grabbed it. He went over to his sister and showed her. They found out how to open and close it, they spent a long time playing with it, then he trotted over to the old man and showed him. They had a long chatter. Next morning, I made up my mind to leave this place, if I had to shoot my way out. You know, I'm sick of these Sasquatches. Yeah. <laughs> Something that would have driven most people insane with terror. <laughs> I'm now just kind of sick of being around. <laughs> I could not stay much longer. I had only enough grub to last me till I got back to Toba Inlet. I did not know the direction, but I would go downhill and I would come out near civilization someplace. I rolled up my sleeping bag, put that inside my pack sack, packed the few cans I had, swung the sack on my back, injected the shell in the barrel of my rifle, and started for the opening in the wall. The old man got up, held up his hands as though he would push me back. I pointed to the opening. I wanted to go out, but he stood there, pushing towards me, and said something that sounded like, Soka, Soka. I backed up about uh, to about 60 feet. I did not want to be too close, I thought, if I had to shoot my way out. A 30-30 might not have much effect on this fellow. 
It might only make him mad. <laughs> I only had six shells, so I decided to wait. There must be a better way than killing him in order to get out of here. I went back to my campsite to figure out some other way. I could make friends with the young fellow or the girl. They might help me if I only could talk to them. Then I thought of a fellow who saved himself from a mad bull by blinding him with snuff in his eyes. But how will I get near enough to this fellow to put snuff in his eyes? So I decided next time I give the young fellow my snuff box to leave a few grains of snuff in it. He might give the old man a taste of it. But the question is, in what direction will I go if I should get out? I must have been near 25 miles northeast of Toba Inlet when I was kidnapped. This fellow must have traveled at least 25 miles in the three hours he carried me. If he went west, we would be near salt water. Same thing if, we, uh, if he went south. Therefore, he must have gone northeast. If I then keep going south and over two mountains, I must hit salt water someplace between Lund and Vancouver. The following day, I did not see the old lady till about 4 p.m. She came home with her arms full of grass and twigs and all kinds of spruce and hemlock. Groceries. Groceries. As well as some kind of nuts that grow on the ground. I've seen lots of them on Vancouver Island. I'm wondering if this is some kind of legume. I tried to Google these details yeah. to see if I couldn't ID the plants. No success here, but I, you know, maybe a longer search could reveal something. Yeah. Um, the young fellow went up the mountain to the east every day. He could climb better than a mountain goat. He picked some kind of grass with long, sweet roots. He gave me some one day. They tasted very sweet. Again, I tried to look around for what this could be. Possibly uh, something called panicled bulrush or maybe some kind of fennel. Hmm. Um, there is at least one page I came across that lists 92 edible um, wild plants in British Columbia alone. Wow. That are many of which are grasses and things like this. So cool. it could be one of these. And, and most of those are edible raw as well. Um, we should link to those. Yes, indeed. And if any listeners, you know, if this is ringing a bell, yeah. please let us know. So I gave him another snuff box with about a teaspoonful of snuff in it. He tasted it, then went to the old man. He licked it with his tongue. They had a long chat. I made a dipper from a milk can. I made many dippers. You can use them for pots, too. Do you want to know how, Jake? <laughs> sure. You cut two slits near the top of any can, then cut a limb from any small tree. Cut down the back of the limb, down the stem of the tree, then taper the part you cut from the stem. Sounds super confusing so far. Then cut a <laughs> hole in the tapered part, slide the tapered part in the slit you have made in the can, and you have a good handle on your can. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he tried to describe it, but clearly he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I threw one over to the young fellow that was playing near my camp. He picked it up and looked at it. Then he went to the old man and showed it to him. They had a, another long chatter. Then he came to me, pointed at the dipper, then at his sister. I could see that he wanted one for her, too. I had other peas and carrots, so I made one for his sister. He was standing only eight feet away from me. When I had made the dipper, I dipped it in water and drank from it. He was very pleased, almost smiled at me. Then I took a chew of my snuff, smacked my lips, said, That's good. <laughs> the young fellow pointed to the old man and said something that sounded like, That's a good snuff. <laughs> Just imagining this guy putting on that voice for it. <laughs> Oh, this will convince that's them. Good snuff. <laughs> uh, the young fellow pointed to the old man, said something that sounded like "ook." I got the idea that the old man liked snuff, and the young fellow wanted a box for the old man. I shook my head. I motioned with my hands for the old man to come to me. 
I do not think the young fellow understood what I meant. He went to his sister and gave her the dipper I made for her. They did not come near me again that day. I had now been here six days, but I was sure I was making progress. If only I could get the old man to come over to me, get him to eat a full box of snuff, that would kill him for sure. (laughs) And that way, kill himself, I wouldn't be guilty of murder. (laughs) I like that he's like, I wouldn't have to do it. (laughs) He would have accidentally murdered himself. The old lady was a meek old thing. The young fellow was by this time quite friendly. The girl would not hurt anybody. And this part is a little weird, but he this is the next part of his story. Her chest was flat like a boy's, no development like young ladies. I am sure if I could get the old man out of the way, I could easily have brought this girl out with me to civilization. But what good would that have been? I would have to keep her in a cage for public display. I don't think we have any right to force our way of life on other people, and I don't think they would like it weird yeah i was like why are you where's that coming from but again it's like one of these details i'm like shit it's so weirdly convincing to me that he would have this thought if you really did have a weird experience like this like what a random thing to just be like yeah um Hmm. but he's like that's not right of me to do and he puts in parentheses the noise and racket in a modern city they would not like any more than i do (laughs) also i would have murdered her father by then yeah exactly in this next part he finally describes his pals his captors if you will Mm -hmm. so i just want to sort of bear in mind other accounts that i've told on the show um purported imagery and footage things that we've seen Uh um and the fact that this guy was telling his story in 1957 still 10 years before the sort of popular obsession with sasquatch really took off with the patterson gimlin film in 1967 right so just bear those in mind as he details these things which again he's talking as if they are just people too which is interesting yeah the young fellow might have been between 11 and 18 years old and about seven feet tall and might have weighed about 300 pounds his chest would be 50 to 55 inches his waist about 36 to 38 inches he had wide jaws a narrow forehead that slanted upward and around at the back about four or five inches higher than the forehead the hair on their heads was about six inches long. The hair on the rest of their body was short and thick in places. The women's hair on the forehead had an upward turn like some women have. They call it bangs. <laughs> He's like, they call it bangays. <laughs> um, among women's hairdos. <laughs> Nowadays, the old lady could have been anything between 40 to 70 years old. She was over seven feet tall. She would be about 500 to 600 pounds. She had very wide hips and a goose-like walk. She was not built for beauty or speed. (laughs) Some of those lovable brassieres and uplifts would have been a great improvement on her looks and her figure. (laughs) The man's eye... He's describing these creatures he's encountering for the first time. Exactly. This one's fucking ugly. Yeah, she could do with a little, uh, you know, lift clothing. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't think of the words. (laughs) Uh, The man's eye teeth, which are the canines, were longer than the rest of the teeth, but not long enough to be called tusks. The old man must have been near eight feet tall, big barrel chest and big hump on his back. Powerful shoulders, his biceps on on the upper arm were enormous and tapered down to his elbows. His forearms were longer than common people have but well proportioned Hmm. this shit is just blowing my mind his hands were wide the palm was long and broad and hollow like a scoop 
His fingers were short in proportion to the rest of his hand. His fingernails were like chisels. The only place they had no hair was inside their hands and the soles of their feet and upper part and the upper part of their nose and eyelids. I never did see their ears. They were covered with hair hanging over them. If the old man were to wear a collar, it would have been at least 30 inches around. Wow. I have no idea what size shoes they would need. <laughs> I was watching the young fellow's foot one day when he was sitting down. The soles of his feet seemed to be padded like a dog's foot, and the big toe was longer than the rest and very strong. In mountain climbing, all he needed was footing for his big toe. They were very agile. To sit down, they turned their knees out and came straight down. To rise, they came straight upward without help of hands or arms. I don't think this valley was their permanent home. I think they move from place to place as food is available in different localities. They might eat meat, but I never saw them eat meat or do any cooking. I think this was probably a stopover place, and the plants with sweet roots on the mountainside might have been in season this time of year. They seem to be most interested in them. The roots have a very sweet and satisfying taste. They always seemed to do everything for a reason, wasted no time on anything they did not need. When they were not looking for food, the old man and the old lady were resting, but the boy and the girl were always climbing something or some other exercise. A favorite position was to take hold of his feet with his hands and balance on his rump, then bounce forward. <laughs> the idea seems to be to see how far he could go without his hands or feet touching the ground. Sometimes he made 20 feet. But what do they want with me? They must understand I cannot stay here indefinitely. I will soon have to make a break for freedom. Not that I was mistreated in any way. I, one consolation was that the old man was coming closer each day and was very interested in my snuff, watching me when I take a pinch of snuff. He seems to think it useless to only put it inside my lips. One morning after I had my breakfast, both the old man and the boy came and sat down only uh, 10 feet away from me. This morning I made coffee. I had saved up all my dry, uh, all dry branches I found and had some dry moss, and I used all the labels from cans to start a fire. I got my coffee pot boiling, and it was strong coffee too, and the aroma from boiling coffee was what brought them over. I was sitting eating hardtack with plenty of butter on and sipping coffee, and it sure tasted good. I was smacking my lips, pretending it was better than it really was. I set the can down that was f about half full. I intended to warm it up later. I pulled out a full box of snuff, took a big chew. Before I had time to close the box, the man reached for it. I was afraid he would waste it, and I only had two more boxes. So I held on to the box, intending him to take a pinch like I had just done. Instead, he grabbed the box and emptied it into his mouth, swallowed it in one gulp. Then he licked the box inside with his tongue. <laughs> After a few minutes, his eyes began to roll over in his head. He was looking straight up. I could see he was sick. Then he grabbed my coffee can that was quite cold by this time. He emptied that in his mouth, grounds and all. That did no good. He stuck his head between his legs, rolled forwards a few times away from me. Then he began to squeal like a stuck pig. I grabbed my rifle. I said to myself, this is it. If he comes for me, I will shoot him plumb between his eyes. But he started for the spring. He wanted water. I packed my sleeping bag in my pack sack with the few cans I had left. The young fellow ran over to his mother. Then she began to squeal. I started for the opening in the wall, and I just made it. The old lady was right behind me. I fired one shot at the rock over her head. I guess she had never seen a rifle fired before. She turned and ran inside the wall. I injected another shell in the barrel of my rifle and started downhill, looking back over my shoulder every so often to see if they were coming. I was in a canyon and in good traveling, and I made fast time. 
but have uh, must have made three miles in some world record time. I came to a turn in the canyon and had the sun on my left. That meant I was going south, and the canyon turned west. I decided to climb the ridge ahead of me. I knew that I must have two mountain ridges between me and salt water, and by climbing this ridge, I would have a good view of this canyon, so I could see if the Sasquatch were coming after me. I had a light pack and was making good time up this hill. I stopped soon after to look back to where I came from, but nobody followed me. As I came over the ridge, I could see Mount Baker. Then I knew I was going in the right direction. I was hungry and tired. I opened my pack sack to see what I had to eat. I decided to rest here for a while. I had a good view of the mountainside, and if the old man was coming, I had the advantage because I was above him. To get to me, he would have to come up a steep hill, and that might not be so easy after stopping a few 30-30 bullets. I had made up my mind this was my last chance, and this would be a fight to the finish. I rested here for two hours. It was 3 p.m. when I started down the mountainside. It was nice going, not too steep and not too much underbrush. When I got near the bottom, I shot a big blue grouse. She was sitting on a waterfall looking right at me, only a hundred feet away. And because he's tough. (laughs) (laughs) I made it down the creek at the bottom of this canyon. I felt I was safe now. Incidentally, something I would personally probably never say again if I'd had his (laughs) experience. (laughs) He was like, I'm I'm over it. It's done. (laughs) Um, I made a fire between two big boulders, roasted the grouse. Next morning when I woke up, I was feeling terrible. My feet were sore from dirty socks. My legs were sore. My stomach was upset from that grouse that I ate the night before. I was not too sure I was going to make it up that mountain. I finally made the top, but it took me six hours to get there. It was cloudy, visibility about a mile. I knew I had to go downhill. After about two hours, I got to the heavy timber and sat down to rest. I could hear a motor running hard at times, then stop. I listened to this for a while and decided the sound was from a gas donkey. Someone was logging in the neighborhood. His term for a generator, I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) A gas donkey. Uh, Truly never heard of that term before. No. (laughs) Yeah, someone was logging in the neighborhood. I told them that I was a prospector and was lost. I did not like to tell them that I had been kidnapped by a Sasquatch, as if I had (laughs) told them, they would probably have said that he is crazy. The following day, I went from this camp on Salmon Arm Branch of Seychelles Inlet. Uh, From there, I got the Union boat back to Vancouver. That was my last prospecting trip and my only experience with what is known as Sasquatches. I know that in 1924, there were four Sasquatches living. It might only be two now. The old man and the old lady might be dead by this time. So that's mm. his account. Um, wow. Again, I, the thing I love most about it, because it is so incredible and so something that I would not believe. No, but it's, he, it's... His tone and his pace is so methodical. Yeah. Everything is so like a methodology. Like, I did this. This is how you do that. You take these certain things. You move this certain stuff simply detailing every experience and it happens to be an incredible experience very incredible but it could absolutely be just a very fun tall tale that he has fabricated with care over many years i mean based on the wording it reminds me of different books i can recall reading from you know this a similarish time period at least place in a similar time period where a lot of focus is put into all the little details of Right, like what you pack, what you have with you, all the stuff like that. And that maybe right. it's just like how people talk about stuff. Like, so if he's recounting his own experience, that's what you how you describe it. Either way, it does sound like it could easily be a work of fiction. That is, yeah, it's true. What what strikes me then is the fact that when he did report it, uh, 
was he reported to who, who like tried to cross examine him? He told it to a newspaper first, and yeah. then like basically police show up at his door to investigate him, and um, the police magistrate writes an affidavit about gotcha. But uh, they could the yeah, they couldn't uh, throw him could, off his narrative. Yeah, they couldn't pull it apart. I mean, it could be a deal where this was what a couple like twenty something years after the fact. Mm-hmm. that he actually told it so right you could argue maybe that he had that much time to practice his story to get it to keep it straight it's true yeah so if he and if he went to a newspaper first then it's like yeah he might be just trying to like i oh, have a fun story i could tell i could get it out there and have some fun right i don't know because it is i mean it's like you said his tone is very sober and very matter of fact as you keep saying it, it that makes it really believable but then the actual account itself is so over the top incredible it's um, true. Not only like the extended encounter, like you, I mean, other accounts we've talked about, there's been just like brief sightings, and those themselves are pretty amazing. Right. But this to be kidnapped by a Sasquatch, live with a family of Sasquatches for a for, week. For like a week, yeah. And then like use its whole snuff box gambit to try and it's escape. It's insane. Then they would it's, even work that way, too. Yeah, it's very like. I don't know, Scarlet Pimper now, it's very, it's all this different. It's such a fucking caper, yeah, yeah. it's true. Which, at the same time, if you imagine, like, you know, being among apes for some period of time, the kinds of encounters that he's having with them don't sound that far off from how it would be to live with gorillas or chimpanzees for some period of time. Um, So it's, like, it's not like the behavioral aspects don't make sense, it's just, like, the simple Holy shit. <laughs> the simple yeah series of events is so incredible yeah. i agree because that's that's what i guess i like about this is there are these details he has that for me i'm just like damn it's so consistent with other seemingly very solid accounts these like the metrics the body metrics on these things yeah and the behaviors and like all this kind of this is before this is well before pop yeah exactly the popularization there were already um first nations legends about sasquatch as a you know entity that would kidnap the young or the people who go off into the woods they would throw you in their bag they'd call it sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, depending on the story or they put picture over your mouth so you couldn't like make noise and hmm. kidnap you and take you away mostly to scare kids i'll throw you in my death bag right you'll think i've gone insane <laughs> it's the fire walk with me poem from that's yeah. right that's right <laughs> it's all about sasquatch and that <laughs> poem, yeah. apparently. um but you know so maybe he's emulating that to help sort of tell yeah. this tall tale but at the same time, it's the it's such a I don't know. It's just one of those fun another another fun account that for me yeah rests right on the knife's edge between like did he have a weird thing or did it just and those can be the most fun ones because that regardless of whether or not it's true this is the, our favorite kind of thing on the show mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not it's actually something that's happened it's a really fun story so it's right like, I don't if he made it all up hey at least he made up a good story yeah exactly but at the same time I would enjoy if he did actually like, if that's all true that'd be awesome some supporters feel like it is a strong account supporters specifically of obviously sasquatch being a real thing yeah but there are plenty who are just like oh it's just a hoax yeah it's a hoax it's it a fun story be. so yeah it's sort of you know it's up to each of us to pick the narrative we want yes but uh i think we each have our own narrative we, what we mm-hmm. each want <laughs> in this case <laughs> it's true <laughs> both real (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway that's my story for today very cool 
Well, we always do enjoy some good monster stories. Mm-hmm, indeed. There's like, yeah, there are all kinds of different fun cryptids and stuff out there, but often it seems like the most striking are the kinds that are the most kind of human-like, but Approaching not quite that human. Region, that valley. We love yes. a, a home in the valley. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well... There you have it. That's it for this week. Thank yeah. you guys so much for joining us once Thank again. You. Thank you very much. If you haven't, we'll always recommend this. Write us a review on iTunes. Yes, please yeah. do review us. Rate us please on Stitcher. Do. Subscribe like to like all that. of our things. And yeah, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram as well. There's going to be all those fun new uh, forms of previews of each week. I mean, if Indeed. you're already listening to the episode, I guess it doesn't matter, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Share it, I guess. Tell Share your friends. It. Tell your friends. Tell your fam. Spread the good word of Indeed. the spooky stories of the mysterious and strange. Indeed, yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess until next week, we will uh, wish you happy strange uh, times. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>